cats and caretakers, eh? A square mile of cats and caretakers. That's the city outside working hours, you know. Dead. On the weekend of the 22nd of October, the Barbican Centre will once again play host to the Battle of Ideas Festival. The weekend-long event will feature two days of high-level, thought-provoking public debate, and within that, a variety of topics will be discussed within a variety of different formats of discussion. There are a few who must live here, of course, people with special interests. And with this mini-series, what we're hoping to do is showcase some of the topics covered and the people who will be covering them. Nowhere else to go, is there? And on Saturday, one session will be asking, is London over? Yet less than a hundred years ago, the city was more densely populated than any other part of London. The fact is, somewhere along the line, great-grandfather let commercial greed get the better of him. With a panel that includes Manira Mirza. I work as an advisor in the arts, and I was the former deputy mayor for culture in London. And I started by asking Manira if London is the greatest city in the world. Well, I'm probably biased because I worked for London government for eight years, so uh, I've spent a lot of that time saying that London is the best city in the world. I think it is because of its incredible cultural scene. Uh, it's incredibly vibrant, it's incredibly diverse. Um, it has a fantastic atmosphere of creativity and freedom. I think compared to many cities around the world, it's a much more tolerant place and that's something to really be proud of. Um, why has that happened? Well, you know, for centuries, certain market freedoms, certain individual freedoms have led to artists being able to practice in a way in London that they couldn't necessarily practice elsewhere. Um, they've got a great deal of support and at the same time, um, uh, less prescription and proscription than perhaps in other places. The history of London is very interesting in that um, really it's the growth of the market and London as a big trading centre that really starts to um, transform the cultural scene. I mean, really, in the early 16th century, London was a backwater. I mean, it wasn't anything compared to the great medieval cities of Florence and, and, and Rome and so on. And, um, you know, you could start a long way back to the dissolution of the monasteries, and um, you know, which is the foundation, really, of the modern state. Um, in, in England and um, that's where you get the, the incredible uh, burst of energy from Shakespearean theatre, Elizabethan era culture, um, which is very much about the emergence of a new kind of city which is not dominated by religion or the church. I mean you have to remember that with the dissolution of the monasteries you had a large amount of the developed land being owned by the, the Catholic Church and then within the space of about 70 years a lot of that land had been taken by the state and given over to private ownership, and that's what allowed the possibility of purpose-built theatres. And, 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 and so there's a huge change in a very short space of time which led to London's creativity. And actually, from that period on, you see the growth of a marketplace, the growth of exchange, uh, businesses coming in, wealth creation, which is, of course, the main form of patronage for the arts for centuries, up until really the post-war period, when the state gets much more involved. So lots of people in the arts world will be very critical of capitalism, uh, and, you know, quite rightly so, but it's also the foundation, actually, for so much of what makes London successful. It was the essential capitalist city, and it remains so. And so this sort of foundation, this supporting role that, that capitalism and business and finance 
has historically played for culture. Do you think that's kind of changing now, that role? Because a lot of people would, would maybe say it, it has recently. Yeah, I mean, in the, in the last, you know, 70 or 80 years, really, the post-war period, um, for a large part of that, the state was the main funder. And then much more recently, the state has tended to reduce the amount of funding it gives. Although the, the lottery is a bit complicates that a bit because actually the lottery is one of the biggest funders in the country. I, I would say that when, when business sponsorship and private philanthropy became a bigger part of the total funding system in London, there was a lot of anxiety about that and a sense that, well, you know, this will commercialise the art sector. But I think what it's done is it's created a vibrancy in the art sector and an attention to audience and patron in a way that perhaps it didn't previously. And frankly, it's brought in a lot more money. If it wasn't for those individual buyers and people who are passionate about the arts, then you wouldn't have uh, some of the great artists living in London today. Um, So there is a direct link between the business world and the finance world. And um, it's too simplistic to say that it's either finance versus culture. That there, There is a relationship between the two. The concern that I have about London is that you have to find a way of maintaining that balance and it does require a bit of state intervention. It's true that, you know, London government, national government has to play a role in making sure that certain things are protected like studio spaces or uh, uh, creative workspaces for artists or, you know, nightclubs, places where culture happens. And it's not just the traditional institutions. I feel very strongly that we should continue to fund and support our great national institutions, but we also have to recognise that those informal spaces are important as well, and they need a different kind of support, but they do need it. They've never been unemployed in their life. They don't know what it's like to pound for money. We've got to pound because we don't have money to buy food. We've all got to squat because they won't give us houses. I've squatted the same area for two years because there's been so many empty houses. We've got no money at all. It's pounds money to get here today. Now it's so dumb thing. I just think it's totally wrong. sort of touched upon something that, that a lot of people sort of associate with this complex web between, say, capitalism and culture and the arts uh, in the form of gentrification and the fact that a lot of studio spaces are now being emptied or, or nightclubs. How does... I mean, it's, it's obvious to say, but, but, but specifically, how does that all tie in? And if we look at gentrification, which is very much a pop word at the moment, has it changed in the, the past couple of decades or or was it always there? It's just that now people are more aware of it? Well, I think gentrification is used as a bit of a catch-all phrase for all sorts of changes that are taking place. And if you take one example of a problem that people are worried about, the, the closure of nightclubs, there are lots of different reasons why that's happening. One of the big reasons is property developers are coming in and converting old spaces into residential because there's a big housing demand. Um, Other reasons are to do with licensing and to do with the fact that when you have residents in an area who complain, nightclubs close down because of noise complaints and so on. And and there are different reasons in different cases. But there's a general sense that London is crowding out because of all these different competing pressures and, and types of stakeholder I guess um, and, and the cultural sector hasn't hasn't been able to argue its case or been able to win a lot of those battles um, the, the big challenge is um, 
I think that there is a population growth and um, a lot of people would like to imagine that property developers are only building safety boxes in the sky and properties for oligarchs but actually the the truth is more complex. We, they are building houses for a very, very fast-growing population. We're going to be 10 million people in London by 2026. And those forecasts are revised every year. And the 10 million figure gets closer and closer. And um, I think people who celebrate London's diversity and the fact that it's a magnet for international talent also have to recognise that half of that population growth is driven by migration. And you cannot escape that fact. You have to recognise that London's success and the things that we love about it are also the things that are affecting the quality of life. Um, and it, it's therefore um, a bit facetious when people say, oh, there's a simple solution, just make sure we don't build any more houses. Well, you know, people have to live somewhere. That's why housing prices are very high. Um, and um, anyone who, who claims it's a kind of simple moral issue is, you know, misunderstands the complexity of it. And a lot of those people would argue that, that uh, sort of this idea of gentrification, which is obviously hugely complex and hugely varied and also equally complex and varied, this idea of culture are kind of mutually exclusive. Mm. What would you say to the people who kind of have that insight? Yeah, I mean, there are examples where... Um, you know, the, the, the gentrification is part of what makes the area attractive. And, you know, Hackney is a very good example, isn't it, where the people who were first in Hackney will say, well, you know, we're the ones who made it great. And they did do something very pioneering. But over time, further creative people came in and changed that area. And it's very hard. I think it is subjective to some extent, the point at which it stops being an interesting area and it becomes, you know, a sort of trustafarian's capital. And... I think, again, you know, the people who love Hackney now um, are some of the people who are being criticised for, you know, not really keeping the original bohemian spirit alive, and um, that's probably a bit unfair. And do, do you think, because, and, and this is sort of just an anecdotal, it, it seemed to me that it used to be a lot more selective, this, because there is a very sort of weird kind of tight-knit connection between this idea of you know a really cultural area and then it becomes gentrified and then mm. it's not cultural anymore and it's killing culture but do you think that kind of process the overly simplified process is is kind of changing in nature because it seems it used to be done in pockets whereas now it's just happening it's happening quickly and uh, you know in the past you know with hackney it would have taken 10 years now it's happening in a sort of space of two or three years and that is because property development is incredibly quick by you know, comparison to before, because the demand is is very high. The thing that I think is wonderful about London right now is the sort of the rediscovery of the suburbs. And you know, the suburbs were the place that everybody wanted to escape in the seventies and the eighties. Um, even though actually some of our best artists, David Bowie and Kate Bush, grew up in the suburbs of London. But lots of people are being forced back out into the suburbs, and it's changing the relationship between the inner city and the suburbs and where wealth is and. Uh, the, when I started in 2008 in the mayor's office, the suburbs, the outer London donut was regarded with, uh, um, uh, you know, as a sort of sort of cultural wasteland by comparison to inner London. And that has changed. There's much more activity going on now. We funded quite a lot of activity, events and so on. Um, and it's a challenge for local authorities to keep that up um, in, in the face of very tough economic climate. But... Uh, the people who live in outer London are actually very culturally discerning and demanding and many of them are artists um, and so that, that has changed. Just this, this idea of, of nightclubs and to me it struck me as like you know this, this massive public uproar but I couldn't quite figure out whether 
all the people getting really upset were just people who used to love clubbing or whether <laughs> it really is, you know, that bad that, that we're losing spaces like that. How, and you sort of talked about it already, how bad is the situation compared to how bad people are sort of analysing the situation? Yeah, well, you always have to disentangle the sort of Twitter sphere reaction to anything and then work out what is objectively going on. And like anything on Twitter, it's very emotional and people bring all sorts of baggage to it. But I do think in the case of Fabric, it was a sad thing because Fabric is not a dying institution. It's not that it, it's not that it was running out of paying customers and eventually it just sort of whittled away and, and we lost it. It's, it's actually still very popular. It still has a very important impact on the music scene and club scene. And I think the sheer number of clubs that have closed, the music venues that have closed generally, live music as well as um, club venues, um, indicates a broader problem in London and actually around parts of the country it's not just a London problem and I, I think it is partly but just about bad planning and, and, and to some extent um, understandably probably a bit of ignorance on the part of local authorities and the police about uh, what happens in these venues and why they matter um, and I wouldn't want to generalise about all local authorities and all police because I think that's not fair some of them are very attuned to what's going on but there are, I think, probably prejudices that people bring about nightclubs. And um, when, when there is a tragic incident, as happened in Fabric, obviously everybody should pay attention to what's going on and try and understand what happened. But I think it's, um, it's important to, to have a proper reasoned analysis of it and to work out, is the consequence of closing it down and punishing a club for what, what's perceived to be bad management going to really solve the problem? This is the form in Britain's dance halls if you want to be with it these days. The twist, shake, hully gully, hitchhiker, Madison, monkey, nod. But if, like me, you haven't caught up with these modern dance crazes yet, then don't worry too much. Because according to most of the experts, these dancers are on the way out anyway. if we stay on this trajectory that, that we're seemingly on and and what can we do and you've kind of mentioned it already but but what what can we do to kind of try and counteract it um well i think because there are so many different problems you know you have to try and work out solutions to each one um on the policing i think it, there's a you know a real responsibility on the part of the police but also you know the mayor's office which has um and the government which has uh, a degree of oversight over the police to have a more intelligent conversation with them about how do we measure crime, night crime, the impacts of the nighttime economy. And the the previous mayor and now the current mayor have committed to um, having a night night czar or a nightmare as they call it, um, which is good. And um, on property and development, I think the housing market itself has changed quite a lot, partly because of Brexit, but also because of stamp duty changes. So that that might 
change some of the dynamics there. But fundamentally, I think we need a planning system that recognises cultural venues. And we have that at a very high level in the London plan, which is the mayor's plan. But local authorities also need to recognise that. And some are very good in London. I think, you know, just allowing all the demographic changes and the market changes to sweep through London with without any check would be a mistake. And I, I don't think that is happening. I think there is some attention to it. But, you know, it, it is complicated and, and you don't win every single battle. But overall, I think, you know, there's probably more political attention now on this issue than there was, you know, 15 years ago, um, partly because so many problems have erupted and it's come very quickly. But, I, you know, I think that a lot of people in politics now are aware of it. It's important to have a public debate about these things. I mean, the, and often at events like Battle of Ideas, you meet people um, who share a similar view, and great things can come from that. You know, whole movements and protests and demonstrations come out of um, the informal meeting of people who are having a discussion. I've, um, I mean, I've been going to the Battle of Ideas for about, I don't know, since it started 2000, so <laughs> 16 years of my life. And um, I think, you know, it's useful also to just refine some of the arguments because certainly when I was a policymaker, I, I think it was useful to have that in my mind when I was talking to the police or local authorities. I, you know, it would be great to get more of the people who make decisions along to these events. So, you know, let's get some property developers there, let's get some councillors there, um, and um, and expose them to some of the different viewpoints that there are. That's great. To find out more about the festival, head over to www.battleofideas.org.uk.